Hola, Joshua Smizer de Leon here, founder and host of the Basel podcast. Thanks for listening to the show where we highlight stories by, from, and about the Puerto Rican community from La Isla to the diaspora. If you want to help us share the diverse and vibrant stories that make up the Puerto Rican communities here on Paseo, Boricua, and Chicago and around the world, subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you stream your podcasts. Subscribing helps more people find the show and will help you make sure you never miss an episode. Leaving a five-star rating and showing some love in the comments helps too. You can also give a donation by looking up the Paseo podcast on savechicagomedia.org. Okay, that's enough from me. Enjoy the show. Bienvenidos to the Paseo Podcast. I am your host, Joshua Smizer de Leon. A quick overview of today's show. Uh, in short, people in Puerto Rico are pissed. And why are they pissed? They're pissed because there have been repeated power outages uh, that have happened since a company called Luma Energy uh, has taken over Puerto Rico's electricity. We're going to get into a little bit more of that backstory, why that matters in our conversation today with two really talented journalists. But it's an important conversation we're going to have because you know, electricity uh, is an asset, is a, is a, it's a privilege, um, but at the same time, it's also in our world today, a human right. So if we're talking about uh, things like keeping your food cool, if we're talking about storing insulin, if we're talking about power to hospitals, uh, you know, without electricity, it becomes, uh, you can have a, a food supply shortage. You can have people dying because they're not getting the proper medication. Uh, or being serviced in a hospital, uh, education-wise. If a student is working on their homework but has no light or electricity to type up a paper on their laptop or even handwrite it, uh, you know that can really be detrimental to someone's progress uh, and, and their own um, and their own education. Uh, so there's a lot of pieces here. There's a lot of moving pieces on this Luma Energy uh, Puerto Rico electrical grid story. There's been protests uh, and a whole lot of anger, especially if you look at Puerto Rican Twitter. So I uh, just want to start off by welcoming our guest today. Nicole Acevedo. She's a reporter for NBC News and NBC Latino. She does a, quite a bit of reporting on Puerto Rico. Last time we actually had Nicole on the on the podcast, we talked about the experience in the newsroom and how she kind of is the go-to person for anything uh, that's happening in the Puerto Rican world, for better or for worse, and the need for more representation of us, not just Puerto Ricanos, but uh, Latinx people, Latina people uh, in these in these newsrooms that um, uh, exist for you know top-tier uh, media outlets. And then our second guest is Carlos Berrios uh, Polanco. Uh, he's a freelance independent journalist focused on covering extremism, political corruption, and civil unrest in Puerto Rico. He actually wrote a really good piece on the Luma Energy protests and La Junta uh, protests that happened uh, this past weekend in Puerto Rico. Uh, both Nicole and Carlos have done that, so we're going to take the deep dive today on this episode. Um, but first off, uh, Nicole, Carlos, I know you heard me bloviate here, just like word, 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 word salad. Uh, pero, uh, you know, welcome to the show. Nicole, good to have you back. I know it's always great to be back here. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, it's important not only to write about these things, but have the space to discuss. As we know, everything that has to do with Puerto Rico is never that simple. It's always kind of complicated. And 
it's important to have these discussions like the ones that you're hosting today. Carlos, welcome. First timer to the show. Welcome to the barbecue. It's always exciting to have somebody, especially someone in, in based in, in Puerto Rico. You're in Caguas, right? Yep. Uh, hi, guys. It's it's my first time on a podcast ever, so I'm very excited to be here. Nice to meet y'all. <laughs> well, oh, uh, but, so we, this is the inauguration. I love being yeah, part of this. Right? This is a big deal. <laughs> this is a historical moment for the podcasts. Um, so then, glad to be a part of it. Super, super happy to have you, Carlos. Well, in that, well, I guess, yeah. I mean, since this since, since this is your first podcast. Let's start off with you. What should our audience know about you? My name's Carlos. I'm a freelance independent independent reporter based out of Puerto Rico, basically covering the protest scene for the most part. I started reporting on it in March, and I've been closely following the, the Luma energy story because it's causing a lot of unrest and upheaval in Puerto Ricans' lives, especially this past week with the massive power outages. Nicole, uh, what should our audience know about you? No, well, I was born and raised in Puerto Rico, now currently based in New York City. Um, been working with NBC News for since 2018. Um, that's almost three, four years. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, a lot of it is um, being concentrated not only in covering the Latino communities in the United States, the Latin American, the Caribbean, but particularly focusing in Puerto Rico post-Hurricane Maria. We know that when the hurricane comes by, everybody pays attention to it, and then everybody leaves and forgets about it. And it was very important for us to stay on top of that reconstruction, really, that's historic because of the devastation Hurricane Maria left behind. But that didn't just happen in a vacuum. It happened in the middle of the fiscal crisis. Then other disasters happened. And now this this debt restructuring. So that's when we were saying everything in Puerto Rico is always kind of complicated. It's because it's, it's those factors don't happen independent from each other. They're all interconnected. And if you're not talking about those relationships, you're not really getting the full story when it comes to what's happening to the people in Puerto Rico. Well, let's talk about something that's impacting people right now in Puerto Rico, uh, Luma Energy. Um, would love Nicole for you to give us kind of like the high level view. Uh, what is Luma Energy and why are they now in control of Puerto Rico's power supply? Luma Energy is a private company that started taking over what's the distribution of the energy in Puerto Rico this past summer. And that happened as part of a contract that was put in place is a private and public um, partnership. And we're probably going to start seeing more stuff like this after, after the fallout of the fiscal crisis. We have to remind ourselves that this is happening at a time in which PREPA, which is the power authority in Puerto Rico, which is a government entity, was bankrupt. When you look at the debt that Puerto Rico had, just the public debt, the $72 billion, as a public entity, PREPA did have the biggest chunk, $9 billion in debt. Mm. And as part of like that restructuring of the debt and sort of figuring out ways to make sure that Puerto Rico didn't end up in a similar situation in the future, the people in the government started talking about, okay, then maybe the solution is bringing private companies to create 
competencia and like all this stuff, right? So this is almost like the first moment in which we see another company that it's not the government-run company trying to, with a government contract, try to, to take over the distribution of, of the power line, of the power supply in Puerto Rico. And well, it's not going that well so far. It hasn't it has been a very rocky transition? I think that the idea was okay, we're gonna bring someone new and things are supposed to get better. And they haven't so far in this in this past few months, just this past week, people have been seeing blackouts and the response time to make sure that those blackouts and those power outages get fixed is longer. And people, the power searches that come back when the power gets fixed are damaging people's appliances. So it, they're incurring in more expenses because la luz en Puerto Rico is super cara también. Like, <laughs> you know, so it, it has been very frustrating because this thing that was pitched to the Puerto Rican people that was supposed to help them in their quality of life, that was supposed to make life easier, it's not. And that's what we're seeing protest in, in the street. It's a combination of, of people being skeptical, rightly so, about this new company and their role and trying to remain vigilant and not be screwed over. And also, you know, pissed because they want to have reliable power. Like after Maria, after being a year without power, they want to make sure they have reliable power. I don't think it's that much to ask. You brought up a good point. So we go from a government-run agency running uh, essentially all of Puerto Rico's power supply to now privatizing. And if I'm remembering correctly, Luma Energy is a Canadian-American company. This is a bit of a hybrid. Uh, so not e it's not even a private company based on La Isla, uh, which has its own layers to it and, and, and uh, is problematic in its own way. Backing up a little bit as a follow-up question to you, Nicole, you mentioned um, PREPA, their debt. How does something like that amass? How did they come into nine, I think you said nine million dollars? Nine debt? billion. With, nine, a with a B, chacho. So yeah. nine billion dollars in debt. How does something like that even happen? Listen, it takes a lot of time, so decades, mm -hmm. and it takes a lot of people. So it's it's difficult to be able to say, hey, this one person is to be at fault. Like whoever says that, you have to question that. It, it was literally an array of people that are responsible and everybody is, is paying the price for that right now. On top of it, you have the fact that the government didn't make sure that the power in Puerto Rico was modernized. So you have a power plant that it's not only bankrupt but the expenses it has because it runs on fossil fuels one of the most expensive in puerto rico and in puerto rico it becomes more expensive because of the cabotage laws and all these other things you know it it accumulates and every year just it's like balancing your own budget if you don't if you have more expenses and you don't have money enough income to to make up for that it accumulates and just sweeping it under the rug doesn't solve the issue. And it just sort of blew up in the past decade when the entire public debt, you know, became quote unquote unpayable as, as uh, former governor Garcia Padilla said in 2015. Um, but yeah, no, it, it, it really was lack of 
oversight from people that were supposed to be making sure that the government in Puerto Rico is doing what they're supposed to do and the entities are balancing their budgets well. And the people that knew they were not balancing those budgets well from the get-go. And now the we're in this encrucijada, right? And, and the, we're having to make some of these impossible decisions in which sometimes you have options that none of them are good and you sort of have to pick la menos mala, which nobody wants that. Mm-hmm. But that's that's what we could possibly continue to see. And just this Luma Prepa partnership, it's sort of a glimpse into, into that sort of encrucijada that came from decades of decades of decades of just money mismanagement on the island. And Nicole, you had mentioned this question's for both of you, but Nicole, you had mentioned like people's appliances. I, I don't know that I've seen that written about enough. I mean, I've started to see it more, you know, I'll, I'll normally hear about the health implications, access to food. Um, but even thinking about things like your air conditioning, um, like if it's a 90 degree day in Puerto Rico and you want to cool down a little bit to, just to get a good night's rest and all of a sudden this surge of power comes through your outlet and destroys your appliance. Well, okay, well you make it work and you know, figure out a way to sleep comfortably. But if you want to replace that air conditioner, I mean, those aren't, that's not cheap. So on top of paying an electrical bill for poor service, you're also incurring more expenses on top of that unnecessarily. So I would love to hear from both of you, and we've kind of touched on it a little bit in our conversation, but what are some examples, uh, some other examples of what people are experiencing in these multiple blackouts since Luma took over the island's electrical supply? Uh, Well, for starters, you mentioned at the top students not being able to complete their work. And just last before the week before last, students got together and organized a protest at the gates of uh, University of Puerto Rico Mayaguez precinct to demand a scholastic recess because they were being so badly affected by the lack of power to power that they couldn't complete their homework or do any of their tasks while professors were just basically not all but a lot of professors were saying just just deal with it and Uh, Students got together at the gates, protested, did an encampment for what I believe two days until they came out with the academic recess they wanted until Monday. And then uh, things kind of got stabilized a little bit more as the week progressed. But um, yeah, students aren't able to complete their homework, uh, which which is a big thing that I've heard from a lot of my friends that are still in college. And on social too, I've seen many people um, saying the same things like, my God, I'm in the middle of a paper. And like, how am I supposed, because your internet um, falls. Maybe your computer has has enough power for you to keep writing the paper, but then how are you going to send it to your professor? How are you going to submit it? Um, Today, there was a hearing um, in the Natural Resources Committee. And I think it was Representative Garcia from Illinois that brought up a case of a family in Aguadilla that um, with the power search, I think once something happened with one of their ACs and the house caught fire. So you can have extreme examples like that. Or just, you know, like right now, my parents even just call me on, on a personal note. They're like, oh my God, I have to buy like this, the third TV I buy this year because the power surges keep like 
breaking and uh, messing up our TV. So it's it's just things that should be completely avoidable, you would think. Um, but they they aren't. They, they haven't figured it out. And I think that looking back to the protest last Friday, a big reason also was that, wow, so this is a week where we barely had any electricity, access to power, and we're going to pay more for electricity. Mm-hmm. The government approved uh It was somewhat of a small increase, but we have to remind ourselves this is cumulative. This is the fourth increase in the power bill that Puerto Ricans see this year. So far, it's been like 34% increase in their power bill every month. You know, how how do you ask that from uh, from people that live in an island that it's on a financial crisis? I don't understand. And people want answers. Well, in that same in that same vein, uh, you've mentioned that uh, Luma proposed an increase to people's electrical bills. Um, so, just trying to understand how the breakdown works, who has control over what? Does Lu- does Luma have full control over how Puerto Rico, how Puerto Rico residents, I should mm-hmm. say, are charged for using electricity? Or are there certain steps they have to take in order to pull the trigger on raising people's prices? Yeah, no, it's, it's, it, it, there's a few steps in between. So for that last increase to come in place, they actually requested a higher increase that they want that ended up being approved. But essentially what happens is Luma, and it's supposed to be like in conjunto con prepa, like this is a, a thing that they have to sort of quote unquote agree and ask. And then there is this other entity, the energy it's called Negociado Energía. It's like the Energy Bureau in Puerto Rico that's supposed to be, quote unquote, an independent government office that looks at this request and basically says yes or no, or they propose something else, which is essentially what ended up happening here. I think it would have been like a three, it would have been like, like I don't remember. It was like a double, I remember I it was, it was like a double like digit. A, yeah, yeah, I think they proposed. 16.9. Was what they sixteen point nine percent was what they proposed, and then three percent was what the the negociado what gave them exactly, and, and, and this that is... was like mm-hmm. uh, almost a cent per yeah. like kilowattio. I actually that have your it... article up here right now, Nicole. I'll, I'll <laughs> tell you, it was the addition. You were right, additional one one cent per kilowatt of power they use. So a customer who used 800 kilowatts will see an increase of roughly $5.60 on a monthly bill, which can be a big increase for a lot of people. Yeah. But also, like, it doesn't matter if if my access to energy is not a good one. I don't want to pay not even an additional cent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. You only pay more if you are getting good stuff. But yeah. that's not what's happening. And that's why people went to the streets on Friday. Part of the reason why people went to the streets on Friday, and For they sure. will continue to do so. Well, and this is the this isn't the first increase that's been proposed and has been followed through on. Um, I remember in both your reporting the mention of consumers seeing uh, I think three three other price increases from the start of the just from the start of this year alone. Uh, I, I want to say the total was like thirty three percent in total of increases. So on top of that thirty three percent, there's all, now you're adding the other three percent. I mean, where does it end? Um, it's like kind of giving somebody a raise at work, 
Uh, and it's like you getting a raise at work and you're not really doing a good job. Um, so Nicole, you mentioned that people were taken to the streets for, for a number of reasons. Uh, Luma energy, Luma energy being one of the big reasons, uh, Carlos, you were actually on the ground at those protests. What's the sense you got from Puerto Rican residents, uh, reacting to this bill increase? You know, do you feel like, uh, a, a lot of the people you've seen were frustrated, apathetic, um, you know, kind of give us the sense of what that temperature was like. Well, at the at the protest itself, I saw a lot of anger, frustration, not not a lot of apathy, although I, I have seen that just talking with everyday people, they're just kind of like, what can you do? But, you know, of course, they're usually people in a position where the power out where the power outages and the increase doesn't affect them as much. But from middle class uh, working and poor people, the main emotion is just frustration, anger at the fact that they not only have to pay more for electricity, but for a worse service. Mm -hmm. And this this leading up to the protest, it kind of felt like a pressure cooker about to explode. And some of that pressure was let off at the protest. And because uh, after, right, uh, right after the protest, uh, the outages went down a significant amount. They're still not at zero, but they went down from from at the peak I saw of 20% of customers on the island without electricity to about uh, 4%, I believe, more or less. It's interesting you said that that you you sensed apathy from people that either weren't aren't directly affected by the outage mm -hmm. outages um, or may have the uh, financial comfort to be able to kind of navigate uh, the ins and outs of, of what's going on. Um, and I, that, that question I was very interested in asking you because when I, I was in Puerto Rico a, a couple months ago visiting my abuela, we're both vaccinated. Um, and uh, I remember talking to a couple of people and I was like, man, get carajo, what's up with this Luma energy? What's happening? And they're like, oh, you know, they control it. And that's just kind of it. I was like, oh, wow. I was expecting a different reaction based off of what I see on Twitter. Um, so it's, it's interesting that you mentioned that there's that duality there where you're going to have people that are on one side and, and people on the other, um, which leads me to my next question, though. So you, uh, so the island's experiencing multiple blackouts. Uh, Carlos, is this only happening in certain municipalities? Is it happening in every municipality? Is it happening in poorer ones, more affluent ones on the coast, in the center? Like, can, do you have a sense of that geography? Where are these outages happening? Uh, I don't have like a 100% map of where the outages are mainly happening, but um, it's mostly been focused around the metropolitan area. And like, it kind of like goes out from there. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, the thing about that is that a lot of like people with more money and resources live in the metropolitan area so they can afford generators and solar panels. But go it goes out from there, especially on the west and like kind of southwest side of the island they use a different uh electrical plan i believe so they're not as affected by the outages but they're still affected by the by the blackouts and brownouts either way yeah well and that's yeah. all and that's all connected through luma though right even though it's yeah still, yeah okay, yeah okay sorry nicole yeah Go to ahead. no to carlos point because it's true that a lot of these plans 
are sort of in the near vicinity of the metropolitan area. And then they do those, do those distribution lines all over the, the island. Um, I was talking to some um, agriculture workers cafecultores in different areas in Lares, in Adjuntas. And I, I wanted, I asked them, I was like, hey, I've seen a lot of reports in the metropolitan area, but I'm sure that these people mostly affected and they were they were like oh my god la luz se va cada rato. we have to figure it out like just like everybody else and they have a different challenge apparently in pueblos like that also i heard the the mayor juana diaz also saying that when they go to when when prepa was in charge of the distribution that maybe it was maybe que se yo, par de hora, a day, como mucho but now it's multiple days for, mm. for Luma to get there and fix whatever failures happening that makes the power not distribute well in that area. So it seems to, to be really affecting everybody, mm. regardless of where, where they live in, in Puerto Rico. No se salva nadie. Yeah, well, and especially in a pandemic when you're working remotely, like that's your that's your livelihood, that's your paycheck. Um, so to not have access to do your job if you had the privilege to to work remotely, uh, you're, you're you're getting screwed over. Um, I, I do remember here, and I think this was Danica Koto from the AP. She had shared one story in her report where uh, there was an elderly um, an elderly like residential like multi unit building, and uh, they were tired of these power outages, so they invested. They they got together as their condo association and ended up purchasing a generator that could give them that backup power. That was about $100,000, crazy amount of money. Um, so they bought this as a backup plan. And yet uh, every time that they've scheduled an appointment for the energy company to come down and set up that generator, since it has to connect to those lines, uh, which is my understanding from the report, um, they've canceled on them multiple times. So even like the infrastructure to help people have those backup plans isn't there. Uh, so it's just interesting that poor service, the infrastructure, they're investing in that infrastructure to give people those options to kind of hold them over while they're trying to figure things out. And on top of that, they're asking they're asking people to pay more for that service, which brings La Ila's cost to twice as much as what mainland US customers pay for electricity, which is wild. And you think about the average salary for Puerto Ricanos I and mean, for, for Puerto Ricans living on the island, you're talking, I want to say, and keep me honest here, between $30,000, $40,000. So you're not, that's, and that's on average. So you're not operating with, with the deepest of pockets to be paying even more than what people here in the States are. Um, I'm interested to hear about, you know, how something like La Junta connects to all this because Carlos I know like we said before you were on the ground at, at the Luma energy protest Nicole you mentioned there was there's other layers to that and you know why people showed up uh, but Carlos you know I noticed in the videos photos I was seeing you know there was people that were they had chance that tied Luma energy to the junta can you talk a little bit about that how those two pieces are connected well uh part of la junta's main job on the island is to deal with the the fiscal debt incurred by the island right and as part of that fiscal debt they sought to privatize the electrical grid 
to reduce costs. So that's how it links up um, basically, and Nicole can speak to this as well, I believe, or, or Nicole can keep me honest to this. Um, Rosselló's government uh, talked with La Junta to institute the lottery that Luma won for the contract uh, to privatize Yellen's electrical grid, which is why people have kind of merged the, the ire to both La Junta and Luma. And part of La Junta's plan going forward is also the privatization of other public utilities on the island, like the day, the day June 1st, that uh, Luma fully took over. I was also seeing talk uh, about privatizing the uh, uh, aqueductos water pipes mm. as well. Yeah, no, that's that's exactly right. I mean, none of these decisions to grant contracts to, yeah, ma ma mainly any contract that the government of Puerto Rico issues, that's, I think it's 10 million, I think it's like 10 million. There's that threshold that literally every government contract, like the, the Junta has to look at it and approve it, basically to make sure that Puerto Rico is not, no se está saliendo del budget. They're not getting out of budget. And, and that's, you know, if Luma is there, at some point, La Junta allowed it to be there. They were the ones that, that were involved in okaying that contract and giving, me, giving them the green light, Al Gobierno de Puerto Rico, to, to be able to have them there doing the, the, work, the work that they're doing. <laughs> um, so that's, and I mean, and that's just one example. Like that sort of negative view that many Puerto Ricans have of La Junta has been from since day one, since La Junta was first imposed in Puerto Rico, um, because you have federal officials deciding over a local government that's supposed to have its own autonomy. Um, and that's not really the case when you have to sort of ask for permission every step of the way to a federal entity. It, it kind of goes back to why we had the whole American Revolution, no taxation without representation. And it doesn't feel like they're based off of what the board looks like, the way it's structured and the, the decisions they make. It's highly unlikely that there is the proper representation. We know there isn't the proper representation of Puerto Ricanos on there, um, whether they're from the diaspora or on the island. Uh, the people do not have a seat at the table. And if you don't have a seat at the table, there's a high chance you're going to be on the menu. Um, and it, that's the feeling I, I see. That's the, that's the feeling I get from people when I talk to them about a lot of these austerity measures. Um, that's the, the anger I feel whenever I see, uh, you know, your reporting, Nicole. Not I love your reporting. I mean, the, the stuff I, you're reporting. I, know. I, I get the same feeling when <laughs> I write like, it, so ah, I get it. <laughs> you know, like, this doesn't have to be the way yeah. we do things. And at the end of the day, to your point, Carlos, we're the people that suffer. The people that are the working poor, working working class families, like those are the people that get the brunt of it. Um, and it, it's unjust. It's unfair. Um, so looking at going back to this protest that um, you were on the ground for, Carlos, uh, can you give us a sense of you know what was the organization like? Was it people just kind of flooding Viejo San Juan and protesting? Was it uh, was there organi organizers involved? Uh, I know there was some organizations involved. Just but just curious to see, like, what, what was that organizing structure? What did that look like? Uh, I believe the, the first time 
that I saw uh, a poster for it or a flyer for it. It was called, uh, the protest was organized by the socialist workers movement in Puerto Rico who have organized several of these anti-Luma events alongside the UTIER, uh, which is the Electrical Workers Union. And from then, from there, those two organizations kind of brought in other organizations uh, totaling, I believe, uh, 32 organizations in total were in agreement for the protest on Friday, but most of it was spearheaded by the, the MST, the Socialist Workers Movement, but there were, there were organizers there, there were speakers from the Socialist Workers Union, uh, Teachers Unions, uh, a, a Proyecto Conciencia, which seeks to build like a bipartisan political consciousness and other unions like that, all speaking on how Luma affects the island and how they can stop it. And what would you say was their biggest call to action? Was it for Luma to get their ish together? Was it for the government to just end the contract completely? Like what was the, what, what's the desire? What, what's the desired outcome? Uh, I mean, part of it is for Luma to get it together, but a, a bigger chance I've seen is for the government to just cancel the contract altogether, which they, I believe that the governor of Puerto Rico can do, but it's a, a legally nebulous situation and I'm not the best with legalese, but their main, their main chant uh, is Fuera Junta, Fuera Luma, which is like for the ousting of Luma and for the ousting of the fiscal control board. How would you say the government is reacting to all this? How's the Puerto Rican government responding? They kind of haven't. Yeah, uh, the, the last time I saw Puerto talking about Luma directly was talking about how the negociado did a good job uh, by lowering the electrical raise from 16.9 to 3%. But he, I don't think he has addressed the protests directly, although... Uh, on Friday, there were, by the time I left, which was right about the time where there were only like five or four people who were also leaving, there were maybe 50, 60 uh, heavily armored police officers behind the barricade that leads mm -hmm. to uh, the governor's mansion. So, I, I mean, that is his, his response, kind of. Interesting. And I think I had seen that he, he had made a statement that the, they had a goal. I don't know if it was for this year or what the timeline was, but to reduce outages by like 30%. It was something like that. And I was like, yeah. okay, 30%? Yeah. It should be 100%. What is, what, it's like a lot of these, uh, it's like a lot of these uh, organizations that'll say, we want to lower carbon emissions in the year, by the year 2070. I'm like, oh, we're kind of late there. Um, the math just doesn't work out. Um, so, Super interested to hear from you, Nicole. You had mentioned the Natural Resources Committee, uh, which a uh, friend of the show, Jesus Chui Garcia, also our, our congressman, my congressman where I live in Chicago, um, uh, sits on that uh, committee. Uh, so they talked about the blackouts. Um, you mentioned Chui had shared a, an example from Aguadilla. Um, is there anything else that we should know that came out of that committee in terms of the discussion of, of Puerto Rico's electrical grid? Well, the hearing came almost as like 
an oversight. So the this committee, it's in charge of everything that has to do with Puerto Rico affairs. And they said, you know, that they're sort of worried that that this transition has been so shaky and, and sort of messy. And it, we've seen the impact it has had on consumers and the Puerto Rican people. And yeah, they, they were sort of skeptical. The I guess the urgency part of it in terms of deadlines was that they weren't necessarily sure that the current arrangement between PREPA and LUMA would allow for that law that was approved under the Rosselló administration that, that opened the pathway to privatization of the energy supply in Puerto Rico, um, that there was a clause there that said that by there, there should be some sort of transition to renewable energy benchmarks and deadlines that they had to meet that by X year, you need to have X percentage of, of renewable energy in place. And they wanted, they weren't sure that by how things were going, things like that, that are, that are under the law, that were, they're actually going to be able to get done. Um, and it was a long hearing, not a lot of answers to be quite honest. I think that the sort of the conclusion um, that Grijalva, who's the chairman of the committee, drew at the end was, listen, we understand that the power grid in Puerto Rico was decimated by Maria, that it was repaired, but it wasn't, you know, rebuilt. It's not restored um, to something better. And we know that's that's a lot of the reason that a lot of people say that that's why Puerto Ricans don't have good access to power, but that should not be an excuse for you to say, hey, I'm not able to provide good service because that's why we brought you here in the first place. That's why we are doing this public-private partnership in the first place. Things need to get better. So in a nice way, he just sort of told people to get it together and to stop making excuses. (laughs) Um, um, But the sense is that Congress is vigilant and the reality is that there is money, federal money, that it's a sign for for those things to take place, for for those improvements to be made to the power grid in Puerto Rico, not only because of Hurricane Maria, but because of the new administration's Build Back Better platform, Mm -hmm. that they have this massive sort of idea and plan to update the entire infrastructure of the United States, including Puerto Rico. So, you know, sort of like the federal government is like, listen, if we're going to help you, Here's the money, but we're going to be watching you. We're going to remain vigilant because we need to have oversight over this money, making sure that it's going in the right place and that the right people, you know, managing these funds are doing what they're supposed to be doing and the best with those resources. So what happens if those people get the money and don't do the best with those resources? What does that commit? What power does that committee have? Like, where are the, the teeth to that? Can they say now you owe us that money? Like, what's the, what are the repercussions? Where's the accountability? That's to be seen, like, for specific sort of, like, uh, accountability measures that they could take, specifically with Luma, that's, you know, supposed, su- like, or with PREPA, like, if there's some evidence, because that's usually what takes the longest time, like, making sure that you can connect the evidence to point A to point B, and then sort of hold the entities accountable and, if anybody knows bureaucratic um, mm. governments, things take a while. So 
yeah, while while they're remaining there, I think, you know, things, even if, if they don't do a good job, just the way just garment processes work, it may take a while. But today, for instance, um, the Luma president was saying like, Listen, in a, even in a perfect world, and he was talking about what he has seen in the past, just in his work experience, not necessarily particular to Puerto Rico, but that updating uh, ailing grid or, or, you know, something like that can take decades. And it's like, I understand that. And we understand that. But that doesn't mean that you're going to keep como que, I see Paulita, I see Paulita, you know, like they're even if it's not perfect, we're not asking Luma or Prepa to have perfect service, but there needs to be some sort of visible improvement. And that's what Congress was pressing them on today. Not only these two companies, but the government officials. Um, they have people from the Puerto Rico Energy Bureau. They have people from the um, government agency, the public-private partnership as well. So um from Core 3, which is the main agency managing um, Hurricane Maria disaster funds. So, you know, they're really trying to hold everybody accountable that's involved in any way, shape, or form with making sure that Puerto Ricans can have access to power, that a college student can actually study and graduarse sin, sin tener que pasar por esta pena. Like, you know, people not having to rely on a generator. That's like the new normal in Puerto Rico. Like if you don't have a generator, it's like even business people like need to invest in generators. And just como dijiste ahorita, like the apartment complex, like that's the new reality in Puerto Rico. You need to pay for power and you need to pay for the generator and all the la gasolina that takes to to make that generator work as well. Yeah. And in Puerto Rico, when it's when it's nighttime, you should be hearing the coquis, not the hum of generators. Uh, and it, it's it's just a disservice to the ears <laughs> at, at minimum. You know, it's like this is not what it's supposed to be like. Um, uh, and again, that's you know, I don't want to minimize what people are experiencing, but, you know, it's it, it's just such a weird reality that people on the island have to live through right now because of this. And the fact that if like you were saying, Nicole, if in the past an outage would have happened, you're looking at maybe an hour or, or, or so or a few hours till it comes back up, maybe a day. Um, and now you're looking at multiple days where you might not have power. So uh, we're not going in the right direction. Um, but let's talk a little bit about the future. Uh, I have a couple more questions for you all. Um, really, just to wrap up our conversation on Luma Energy, you know, what's the next step? Where do we where do we go from here? How do we get to that place where people are getting proper access to electricity? Uh, well, there there are more protests, of course. There is one on the 15th at the Las Americas Highway, where uh, I think they're planning on blocking the highway, which I'm sure will cause a big commotion. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, before we got on on the Zoom call, I saw a flyer for another protest uh, this Friday, the 8th, uh, where people are dropping off their damaged like electrical equipment in front of uh, Palo Seco, which is one of the, the generation units. But uh, 
what's really concerning for me is that the privatization process for the island's electrical generation uh, is supposed to start, uh, I believe, by the end of this year. And that's what's really, I, it's, I believe that's more dangerous than, than what Luma is doing with transmission. Uh, because if, if a company can't maximize profits by generating electricity that reaches everyone, they won't do it. If it's, if it doesn't help their bottom line, they won't do it. And if, if they, if they don't generate enough electricity and then they just choose not, not to do it, the problem with it being a private company is that uh, the governor or whoever can't just be like, no, you have to do it. Instead, they're like, hey, can I talk to the, the manager and ask him to do it? Mm-hmm. So that's, that's my prediction, or not prediction, that's my worries and hopes for the future, I guess. Yeah, yeah no, I mean, I definitely, I definitely think that's a very real concern. Uh, if you have a, a, a company that is willing to put uh, profit over people, um, uh, that's not a sustainable Maybe that's the way they sustain their business, but that's not a sustainable society. Um, Nicole, what about you? I think, like Carlos said earlier, this is just the first of more public-private partnerships that could be in the near future. Um, And I'm just, well, if this is going like this now, I don't think it gives a lot of people confidence that the next ones to come will be as smooth or as productive as initially thought. And yeah, we understand it's sort of like a math equation. It's a money thing. But in between are are the people. And it's just, I don't know. There's no way that you can solve this issue and not prioritize people and that's that's the biggest concern for me that this tensions between yeah easing costs or easing the debt are always gonna collide with what's best for people we see it with the austerity measures every day and i just think that we're gonna have more instances in which those tensions may result in people actually not getting a better quality of life because that's not going to be the priority. And I think that's more or less sort of like the core sort of thought that it's making people, even if it's not going to a protest, maybe sitting at home and having conversation about this or mirar periodico and see like, hmm, I, I don't know, like this sense that you have to remain vigilant. I think that that those protests of the 2019 summer change that with Puerto Ricans that you know they're sort of like okay if we really wanted to we could sort of make our voices heard and make change but that requires us to be vigilant all the time so we can raise our voices at the right time and demand the things that are our rights essentially. Hey there we want to take a moment to thank our partners, the Puerto Rican Cultural Center of Chicago and the Chicago Independent Media Alliance for their support. This show would not be possible without them. And shout out to our amazing podcast team. Learn more about them and the show by visiting our website, paseomedia.org. Enjoy the rest of the show. How many 
many Luma employees executives earn over $200,000 and how many earn over $500,000? I think it was asked that question earlier, but uh, and you didn't I, want to answer, I'm right? Dis- I'm not able to disclose employee salaries. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, if you want to get in the business of providing a public good and for the federal government to subsidize it or for us to play a part in it, then you understand that those salaries are also the, the public salary. Do you understand? So just know that it doesn't make sense that you don't want to reveal that. You don't even have to tell me the names of it. I think Velasquez and I are just curious how many of your employees earn over 200000 and how many of them earn 500000 I don't need names. I just want to know how many. So if you can follow up and talk to your legal folks, I think they'll come back and tell you that that should be actually transparent and open. Do you know what the medium household income is in Puerto Rico, sir? No, I do not, Congressman. Yeah, it's $20,000, according to the Census Bureau, $20,000. So Luma has received millions of dollars and stands to receive billions more in an attempt to privatize the grid in Puerto Rico over the next 15 years. But the last four months have been a disaster for the people of Puerto Rico. And privatization, privatization, I know, will only worsen it. So I just want you, sir, to understand that if you're going to serve the people, you should know what the medium income is. You should know what the impact is. And the fact of the matter is you failed them just alone in the last four months. So please understand that my frustration with all of this is because they deserve to make sure that they have access to something that is very much a lifeline to medical issues that they're struggling with, being able to provide for their families, of course, food, all those things, appliances, everything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Woo. That clip we just played was from the Natural Resources Committee hearing that uh, Nicole mentioned. Uh, you heard uh, just there, uh, the person asking the questions was Michigan Congresswoman Rashida Talib. Uh, she was questioning the president and CEO of Luma Energy, Wayne Stensby. I think I'm pronouncing his name correctly. If I'm not, sorry. Uh, but she was questioning him on the executive pay of uh, Luma Energy executives. So I should note, though, uh, before I get any deeper into this, that I did misspeak earlier. Uh, and the average salary in Puerto Rico is actually 20K, according to U.S. Census Bureau data, and not 30K, like I mentioned before. Um which ultimately makes the situation even more suspect when a company receiving government funds is unwilling to share executive compensation with the public that is funding their projects. It's just weird and fishy. So let's be real here. Wayne is most likely a millionaire, and there is a high chance Luma Energy, a newly formed company, by the way, has executives making six-figure salaries. If they weren't, then the president and CEO of Luma, good old Wayne, would have used that Note, as a good counterpoint to the one uh, Rep Talib was trying to make. Now imagine making those types of salaries at a brand new company that you're working for. And not only that, making that type of money and doing your job poorly. The American dream, folks. The American dream. If only everyday working class people and the working poor could be so lucky. Maybe instead of increasing the cost of electricity... For Puerto Ricans to cover Luma's expenses, those executives will be willing to give up some of their high-paying salaries to fill those gaps. But I'm not going to hold my breath. This is just another example of a profits-over-people mentality, folks. But I digress. Anyway, well, I I do have a a bonus question for you all. It's not related to this heavy Luma energy topic. But before we go, before we transition to that, were there any last thoughts, words, anecdotes, um, you know, details 
that you think uh, people listening should know about this Luma Energy story? So I think I think about uh, collapse a lot, and I think when people, especially in in the United States, in the heart of empire, think about collapse, they think of a big one hitting, and then the world is radically changed. But the truth about it is that collapse comes comes in stages. It's like um, crumbles. Society doesn't just collapse; it starts crumbling at the edges. And I think Puerto Rico has been showing those crumbles for a very long time. And part of the problem with not having any power is that these crumbles compound until something that could have been easily fixed becomes a monumental disaster. We kind of saw that with uh, Hurricane Maria, not that it could have been easily fixed, but since the grid was already in such a bad state of disrepair, it uh, the impact of it was very, very bad. Uh, God forbid, whole body cross that another hurricane hits the island. Uh, if another hurricane like that were to hit the island, uh, things are going to be even worse because we have this system that has not been updated that is uh, already doing ba very badly post uh, any type of disaster. It's going to do worse, and then that that compounds even more. Because especially as, as climate change is getting worse, we talked about air conditioning in the beginning. While once upon a time, air conditioning was a luxury, it's for a lot of places, especially places that are as hot as Puerto Rico, it's, it's a necessity. If you lose power, that means that you're going to be hotter. That affects the elderly worse than it worse because of, uh, the hotter it is, the more deaths happen. And all of that just kind of compounds and it just... It, what could have just been bad becomes horrible if we don't take the preventative steps to stop it from getting worse. That's those are my last thoughts. Yeah, no, definitely. Again, well said. I mean, I think the neglect to your point, the neglect just leads to a snowball effect. And then mm -hmm. it gets real serious real quick at that point to the point where you're talking about people's lives. Um, so actually, uh, well said. Carlos, now that you mentioned that, there was a question in the hearing today, and the Luma president was specifically asked, is the power grid in Puerto Rico, you know, in on the border of collapse? And he was so careful about answering that. Mm. And, and the prepa guy, too, also um, was asked to answer the question, and they both said no, but that they would, they would basically label it as a grid that's in critical condition. And it... it it put me to think because I'm like, okay, then what does it take to be on the border of collapse? You know, like, I just think that it can be a little dangerous if people or officials may not be treating things with that sense of urgency it requires, because then it's to Carlos point, then it gets too late. Then when things come and you need to act like a hurricane or something like that, then Yes, at the for example, it's it's too late. It's gonna cost people's lives. Yeah, I think I mean I I kind of know that Luma knows that the, the grid isn't ready for any type of hurricane because before the contract was instituted, they had a clause in there that said that they could leave the island if there was a category three or category two or three hurricane, which thankfully 
was taken out of the contract, but just the fact that they tried to get themselves out of that position is already so telling. Mm -hmm. And then um, Prepa just released a report. Uh, I believe it was Saturday, the third, uh, that gave info on how their electrical generation units were doing. And it showed that eight of their main units, eight of 16 of their main units were operational and most of them needed critical repairs. Two were scheduled for later this year. Two weren't scheduled for, and two weren't scheduled until 2023. And some of them have been in states of disrepair for going on six plus years. Um, and then it then at the end of the report, they were talking about how um, they were only producing. 38% of the electricity that they could have been producing. So the thing is, if we we had the, the capabilities and the resources given to us in the hands of people who know the system, it could be repaired, but because of the, the legalese and the legal bindings of La Junta, the contract, we're not able to repair that and not we're not able to prevent even worse disasters from happening yeah we're definitely in a cycle of uh being reactive instead of proactive uh and it's, it's it's very problematic and the people of puerto rico deserve much better than what they're getting right now um okay let's let's transition to our final question um this is really interesting because nicole with you being in new york uh carlos you being in Caguas. Uh, we've been asking people this question, and it's very much inspired by Jasmine Camacho Quinn. And I don't know if you saw a lot of the chatter uh, after she brought Puerto Rico our second ever gold medal. Second ever. Didn't have to run for and represent Puerto Rico, but she did. And she was successful in it. Um, but when she won, I saw a lot of chatter online of people questioning her Boricua card, saying... Well, she wasn't born in Puerto Rico. Is she really Puerto Rican? Uh, you know, she doesn't speak Spanish fluently. Is she really Puerto Rican? Um, I also think there's some racial undertones in there because she is Afro-Boricua as well. Um, but I just found that interesting because I know in my life, you know, I'm, ha I'm half and half. Um, so I, I remember growing up and people questioning my Boricua card. I have people in my, in my life that people question their Boricua card. Um, some people that have lived both on the island most of their life and now are here in the States. Um, so it's just interesting how those conversations just kind of take over the debate over someone's identity. So I just thought I'd ask you both, like, what does it mean to you both to be Puerto Rican? I mean, to me, it's everything. I think that, you know, just growing up there, being born there, my family is still there. In my job, I, I talk about Puerto Rico every day. It's just, I, I think about Puerto Rico all the time. And it's so much of the fabric of who I am. Um, and that's not to say that, you know, my experience as a Boricua is the only experience that's valid. And I think that's what was at the heart of the, that's always at the heart of the debate, that it's like, sort of arguing which Puerto Rican experience is the quintessential Puerto Rican experience. And it's like, no, especially when you look at the Puerto Rico's history, like just in the past decade, 
you know, the situation in Puerto Rico has led many families to have to leave the island. And, you know, you have then this other debate of like, ay, los que se quedaron y los que se quitaron y all this stuff. And it's like, you can't, you know, we can't do our community like that. You know what I mean? You don't know what people are going through. You don't know, you know what I mean? Like it's, yeah. it's, yeah, you don't have, it's, it's not, not productive to say that, you know, because somebody couldn't find work on La Isla and they found a better job opportunity in Texas or in Florida or in New York that they cannot take that and that would not make them Puerto Rican. Um, so no, I think that if anything has has taught us, you know, after Maria, all the, the Puerto Ricans that have had to leave the island, it's be more sympathetic to to those things. And and you know, even the Puerto Ricans that settled in New York after that first sort of migration of Puerto Ricans to New York City. Yeah, many went back to Puerto Rico, others went to Florida, but you know, that heritage that those Puerto Rican roots are still there and choosing to highlight that and be proud of that, that's a choice. That's like, I don't think what screams love more than that, that there's a part of your identity and your history and your heritage that you're deciding to actively highlight, even when you don't have to. So no, for me being Boricua is everything, but my experience, not the quintessential Boricua one, but a valid one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I love that. I mean, what what experience is the quintessential Boricua experience and who gets to determine that? That's, you know, that's, it's, it's, it's our journey. It's our story. It's our identity. And everybody's different. Carlos, what about you? What does being Puerto Rican mean to you? Oh, Carlos well, is come on here and be like, well, I'm in Puerto Rico. Everybody got to be born no. in Puerto Rico. No, I'm just kidding. Go ahead. No, I mean, f- <laughs> five or six years ago, that that like that was the kind of person I was before I kind of had had my leftward swing and like really knew, really understood how the world was. And if I could go back in time, I'd probably punch myself in the face for saying those things. But uh, it really came from a place of or questioning other people's but equal cards it really came from a, a place of like insecurity with my own kind of Port- Puerto Rican-ness because I, I all didn't fit the quote unquote standard uh, Boricua aesthetic, if you will, because uh, I'm also half and half. My mom's side of the family is from the Dominican Republic. Uh, I'm not a big like salsa reggaeton head. I, I was more of a punk growing up. Um, but like the, the truth of the matter is like that that was from me being like, oh, I don't feel comfortable in my in my Boricuana, so I'm going to question other people's to kind of like deflect. But then I came to realize like no matter if you grew up on the island, if you grew up anywhere else, like if you if that's a culture that you kind of like enjoy, that you vibe with, that you understand, even if you fit, don't fit like the cultural or, or you don't fit the cultural like standards or uh, I don't know. I don't. I think there's a better word, but I don't have it right now. Uh, like if that's if that's you, then that's you. And uh, anyone who questions it is not someone whose opinion you should care about. 
And even just like a little thing you mentioned there, like not all Puerto Ricans are down with reggaeton. Like that's like, yeah. and that should not be a qualifier, you know? Like, They're Puerto Rican rockeros. That's Puerto Rican everything. Yeah. <laughs> and that, go, that should be an episode in and of itself, how the punk rock, the, the Latin rock scene, like that just doesn't get enough play in like the mainstream coverage of the music scene um, in our culture. Um, well, I appreciate you both sharing like how, you know, what being Puerto Rican means to you. I think it's important for people listening to hear that. I think it's important for people to hear about this Luma energy story, especially for Boricuas and the diaspora that, you know, maybe they, they can't read the news stories that are coming out of the island, uh, that are all in Spanish. You know, maybe the, there's just so much that, and so much context involved that they're not in it or close to it enough to really, uh, distill the information and what's happening. So I really appreciate you both for coming on the show today, taking the deep dive with us on this topic. But if anybody listening wants to keep up with you both, you know, how can they do that? Uh, do you do you both have a website, social media channels? Uh, Nicole, I know you've been on the show before and you've shared that stuff before. Uh, so why don't we just like, go, let's do a rerun. Let's go to you, Nicole. How do we stay up to date with you? I usually keep my Twitter pretty updated. My Twitter handle is Nicole Marie underscore A. Um, also just NBC News and NBC Latino, and you can see our coverage there as well. Um, and on Instagram, I'm Nicole Marie, sorry, on Instagram, I am Nicola Sabedo Rots, but I post more personal stuff there that about my daily life, maybe some behind the scenes moments about reporting okay. and stuff like that. But <laughs> if you want real news updates, then go to Twitter. <laughs> That's great. And then the, the article that I mentioned earlier in the show that you wrote for NBC News on Luma. Uh, for anybody that wants to go out and read it, we'll put it in the show notes. The headline is Puerto Rico is on the brink of a power supply crisis. Protesters demand answers. Uh, so I know this isn't going to be the last report that you put out there, Nicole. Uh, but for people listening, uh, definitely go give that a read. Carlos, how can our audience keep up with you? Uh, well, just like Nicole, it's all on Twitter. You can find me at, at uh, Vaquero2XL, V-A-Q-U-E-R-O-2XL, uh, where I do all of my on-the-ground reporting, and I keep it pretty updated with the news. I try to talk about what's going on in the day. I post in both English and Spanish, but I've kind of seen that English gets more, of, or is posting in English gets more of more attention and more, reaches a wider audience, so I think I might be moving to mostly English. Um, that's that's about it, really. I don't really have any other social media. Yeah. No. I, I pitched articles to other places, so but if I do, I post them on Twitter. Nice. Yeah, yeah. No, and I think that's a I think that's an interesting point, Carlos. I think um, to my point earlier, like being able to distill that information that comes out of the Isla, you know, that's that's critical for a lot of people in diaspora. So it makes a lot of sense, and there's more of us here in the United States than there are mm -hmm. on the island. So, um, you know, I'm looking forward yeah. to seeing that Twitter feed, my man. And same thing Thank with Nicole. You. We'll put uh, Carlos's recent reporting. He actually pitched Latino Rebels for this story. So we'll put that article in the show notes as well. But if you're listening, you want to look it up after you're done listening to this episode. The headline for that on Latino Rebels uh, is protests against Luma Energy and power outages continue in Puerto Rico. And Carlos actually took some photos at the protest, captured some really good video. Um, I know that first photo in the in the article, I see all the Caribe blue banderas. 
Um, so it's just nice to, you get some really good or, uh, shots of people organizing um, and coalition building. So definitely people listening, you know, I know this isn't the last time Carlos is going to report on this either, but definitely go give that article a read. Um, okay, Nicole, Carlos, thank you so much for being on the Paseo podcast today. Happy to be thank here. Nice to talk us. to y'all. Yeah. And it was, um, is that a culmination of Carlos' first podcast? I'm very yeah, excited about that. I'm very excited. Thank you for the, the experience. <laughs> I hope it's not my last. It was great. Uh, we'll definitely have you back on. So we'll, we'll stay in contact. Happy to be your first time. Before I say goodbye to you all, I wanted to shout out one of our listeners and quickly share some Puerto Rican news stories on my mind that I think you should read more into. First up, shout out to Crystal in ah, I think that's how I'm saying your username. Uh, she gave us or he gave us or they gave us a five star review on Apple Podcasts and commented, great podcast, Boricua, pa que tu lo sepa, exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. Uh, thank you, Crystal, for the kind words. Thank you for the five-star rating. Uh, and for you listening, don't forget, you can support the show by subscribing to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you stream your podcasts. Subscribing and leaving a five-star rating or where uh, or whatever the, the highest rating is on your streaming platform really helps more people find the show and showing some love in the comments definitely helps too. You can also support the show by following us on social media, including our YouTube channel, donating to the show by visiting our website, baseomedia.org. Um, so there's lots of ways that you can get involved, show your support, uh, be a member of the team from a distance. Uh, however you want to show some love, show some support, you have a number of avenues to do so. Um, okay, so here are two Puerto Rican news stories in my mind that I challenge you all to go read up on after this episode. So the first one is Puerto Rico's government announced Wednesday that it plans to offer free high-speed internet to the more than 300 public housing projects across the U.S. colony. Now, I love to see that. Uh, just like electricity, access to high-speed internet is a human right. Number two, the Pandora Papers. Now, you might have heard of other leaks like uh, the Panama Papers. This is bigger than that. So the Pandora Papers are uh, the name of a leak of almost 12 million documents that reveal hidden wealth, tax avoidance, and in some cases, money laundering by some of the world's richest and powerful people. Uh, so it, it's really revealed a lot uh, about the wealthiest in our society around the world. Uh, the involvement, um, well, I guess I should back up a little bit, how this connects to Puerto Rico. Uh, so it was revealed in the Pandora Papers uh, that there was involvement of small international banks of Puerto Rico uh, in facilitating the opaque business dealings of foreign millionaires. And they also revealed uh, Puerto Rican government contractors and Puerto Rican celebrities like Cheyenne were involved in doing some shady things with their cash um, in addition to other business dealings. Uh, interesting enough, other artists that were named in the papers include people like Shakira, Julio Iglesias, and Luis Miguel. Uh, so definitely go check out those stories, mi gente. Uh, I think they're they're really important to keep on your radar, to read up on. Um, okay, that's our show for today, familia. Uh, I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did or didn't, let us know. Email us, baseopodcast at gmail.com or shoot us a DM, add us, uh, whatever, however you want to engage with us on social media. We're at Paseo Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. 
I'm really excited uh, on the Instagram front too. We might be launching that later this month. So that's really exciting. Fingers crossed we, we uh, get it together and, and have the people power to, to really manage that well. Um, any good vibes you could send our way are appreciated. Uh, on our next episode, depending on which guests we book first, we're either going to uh, continue this discussion on Luma Energy with union workers and organizers in Puerto Rico, uh, or we're going to discuss Puerto Rico's involvement in the Pandora Papers. So until then, as always, if you want to pitch a story idea, nominate yourself or someone else for an interview, or share a news story you'd like us to discuss on the show, visit our website, paseomedia.org, to do just that. See you in two weeks. Cuídate.